The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Today, if you look in the bulletin you received on your way in, we're looking at Smyrna, the suffering church, the suffering church. Beginning in verse 8, we read these words, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, and we saw last week the angel was either a heavenly angel given to protect the church, or angel means messenger in the Greek language, it may be to the messenger of the church at Smyrna, one of the leaders of the church who brought that to them. Uh, it, write these words, and Jesus always describes himself at the start of each of these letters. He describes himself here, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. So he talks to the church at Smyrna. He says, I'm writing to you as the first and last, the last one who was dead but come to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews but are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I know your tribulation, your poverty, that you're being blasphemed against, that you're gone to prison, you're going to die. Who wants to join the church at Smyrna? Okay, That's what we're talking about this morning. He, he says, I, I know what's ahead of you. I know that tribulation's coming, poverty's coming, or is there. I know you're being blasphemed against. I know some of you are headed to prison for 10 days, which means a short period of time, and that some of you are going to die. So join my church. Right. Right. Father, as we look at the word, and as we look at a church that suffered much for you, I pray that you would teach us in the midst of uh, times when we struggle, times when we suffer, how we should respond through their example. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know about you, but uh, I am not a fan of pain and suffering. How many of you uh, just can't wait to experience pain and suffering? I mean, uh, not many of us can. That's a class most of us don't want to volunteer for, and we don't want to be a part of. I mean, we do anything to avoid it. It's like the college co-ed in the following story. Mother entered her daughter's uh, bedroom. She saw a letter, and uh, her worst premonition came true with trembling hands. She read the following letter. Dear Mom and Dad, I hate to write this, but I want you to know that I've eloped with my new boyfriend. I know how upset you will be, but I want you to know I'm truly happy. I have found real passion with him after only three weeks. I love his piercings, his tattoos. He already has my name tattooed on his left arm. His motorcycle is old, but fun to ride. We will get helmets pretty soon, I hope. You should also be aware that you're going to be grandparents. Can you imagine? One day, I know you'll be happy with this. Until then, maybe we will have many more children so that you will enjoy them as well. I've also learned that marijuana is not addictive. Don't worry, Mom, I'm 18 years old, and I know how to take care of myself. Signed, your daughter, Marie. Wow. Then it said, P.S. Dear Mom, none of this is true. I'm over at Sarah's house. I just wanted to show you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my top desk drawer. (laughs) We'll do anything to avoid pain and suffering, won't we? Man, that's one smart... Don't you guys try that over there, okay? (laughs) Don't you guys do it, okay? 
but I mean, everything she could, perspective is interesting, everything she can to avoid pain and suffering. And that's what we see happening here. I mean, she did it. Suffering is not, uh, and pain is not something we would volunteer for. It's not a course that we want to take, yet it's in that course that we learn much. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain. God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And the course that God gives us in suffering that we go through in suffering is one we really don't want to sign up for, we really don't want to take, and like that co-ed, we'd really like to avoid. She wanted to avoid the pain and suffering that come from dishonoring a mom and dad with a bad report card, but the reality of it is most of us like to avoid the pain and suffering. Suffering sounds a lot of different ways. Suffering sounds like this. I'm sorry the tumor's malignant. Suffering sounds like I don't love you anymore. I never did. I'm out of here. Suffering sounds like uh, we need to make some cutbacks. I hate to let you go. Suffering sounds like uh, that report was not good enough. I'm going to have to flunk you. Suffering sounds like uh, you said it. I know you did when you know you didn't say it and you're falsely accused. Suffering comes in many forms, many ways, looks a lot of different ways. A model for handling suffering and persecution of the church at Smyrna. Today we're going to learn from these dear brothers and sisters who suffered for their faith. The words of Christ, as we saw, given to the church at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is an interesting place. Smyrna was 35 miles north of Ephesus. We studied Ephesus last week. We saw that Ephesus was a wealthy community because of its location. Smyrna was wealthy because of the same reason. It was a port city. And being a port city, it meant that commerce and trade could come through there. It was actually a beautiful city. It, was, it had Mount Pegasus on one side, so it was ringed by mountains on one side. And then on the other side, uh, it had the ocean. It was a beautiful place to live. Uh, ancient uh, ancient uh, Samara, Smyrna looked like this. If you look over here, you see the ruins on the top. You go below these arches, this is what it looks like below. This was the agora, the market, the marketplace where they would do their shopping. Uh, it was also a place where... Even though Smyrna was economically wealthy, it was spiritually corrupt, just like Ephesus was. <clears throat> it was spiritually corrupt for a number of reasons. First of all, because there was the worship of pagan gods there. There was a temple to Zeus, there was a temple to a goddess, and so you had two major temples of pagan gods there. It was also a religiously corrupt place because not only did they worship pagan gods, but emperor worship in Asia Minor first took place in Smyrna. It was the first place that a temple was built to one of the Caesars. And in 83 AD, that's before the revelation was given to John that we're reading, in 83 AD, mandatory worship of the emperor was instituted in Smyrna. And so if you lived in Smyrna, you were a citizen of Smyrna, then once a year you had to go to the temple in Smyrna, the temple for Caesar, and there you would have to sacrifice on the altar or lay something on the altar, and you would have to say, Curios Caesar, Curios Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And you would make that statement saying that Caesar is Lord. If you didn't do that, you risk being beaten, you risk banishment, and you risk, de- you, you risk death. So if you didn't go to the altar and you didn't say, Curios Caesar, Caesar is Lord, then perhaps you would be beaten, banished, or even killed. Many Christians at that time, citizens of Smyrna, that they would refuse to say, Curios Caesar, they would go and say, Curios Christos, that is, Christ is Lord. And they would be beaten, they would be banished, and some even died. One of the great leaders of, of our day, of that day, was Polycarp. He was born in Smyrna. And I'll show you his picture in a minute. He was actually he lost his life as a martyr in the city of Smyrna. 
Smyrna was also known for a couple other things. First of all, it had one of the largest libraries in the ancient Near East. Secondly, it had one of the largest public theaters in the ancient Near East. And thirdly, it was the birthplace of Homer. Birthplace of Homer. Uh, Not this Homer that most of you are familiar with. Okay. Uh, But this Homer, who was the famous Greek poet who wrote the Iliad, the Odyssey, and other great Greek works. And so uh, it was an economically prosperous, religiously corrupt community. And so the citizens are the believers, the believers in Smyrna were being attacked by the pagan community. They were being attacked by, uh, they had to go and bow before the emperor. And finally, if you look at the end of verse 9, there was a Jewish community, not very large, but very active in its abuse and persecution of believers. In fact, when Jesus gives this revelation to John about Smyrna, he says, these are those who claim to be Jews, but they're not. They're the synagogue of Satan. They claim to be Jews, but they're not. They claim to be Jews because they're rightly related to Abraham, but they're really not because they don't live lives by faith. You know, when you look at this, he calls them the synagogue of Satan. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding today about the nation of Israel in the evangelical church. The, the need of the nation of Israel today, more than anything else, is for them to know Jesus as Savior. See, here's the reality. Apart from Christ, no one is saved. And so Israel doesn't get a pass. Even though the nation was reformed in 1948, the greatest need in Israel is not political safety. It's not socioeconomic uh, flourishing, but the greatest need is for them to know Jesus. I love it when we go to Israel. Eris is our guide over there. He's a Messianic Jew. Messianic, uh, he follows the Messiah. He's Jewish by birth. When you ask him, Eris, what's the, what, the number one thing we can pray for for your people? He always says that they would come to know Jesus as Savior. So the greatest need of the Jewish people, they don't get a free pass because they're related to Abraham, only when you're rightly related to Jesus or you're the true Israel in the true church. And so a lot of misconception out there about what that really is. So Smyrna was perhaps the most dangerous place in the ancient world for a Christian to live. Nobody took mission trips to Smyrna. I mean, the youth group didn't say, let's go to Smyrna for the weekend and do missions. It's a dangerous place to live as a believer. Smyrna today is actually the city of Izmir. Uh, Izmir looks like, that's Polycarp right there. I'll talk about him in a few minutes. Uh, This is Izmir currently. It's the third largest city in Turkey. That's where Smyrna, Izmir, same community, 2.9 million people, beautiful port city, mountains in the background, uh, channel or port right there, harbor right there, beautiful beaches filled with people. It's actually a, a beautiful place to live, but the church of Jesus Christ is basically dead there. The candlestick of blessing has been removed. There are numerous missionaries there seeking to plant churches, but there's not a flourishing church right now. The candlestick of God's blessing is no longer there. Well, Jesus begins this and he says, I am the first and the last. That is the Alpha and Omega, the one who creates history, the one who consummates history. He says, I am the one who is dead, but I'm alive. And that would certainly give hope to the church at Smyrna because some of them are going to die. And he says, I want you to know when you die, it doesn't end there. I am the beginning and I am the end. When you undergo persecution, you may experience death, but you're going to have life. In fact, this promise at the very end is you're not going to experience a second death. You'll not be cast into a crisis eternity, but you'll enjoy my presence forever. So with that, let's see four things he commended the church for. He begins by saying, I know. If you're right in your Bible, circle that word. He says, I know. And he's going to talk about four things he knows. The word I know is significant here for what it means. Basically, it's the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The word understanding here is the same word as know that's found here. So when Jesus says, I know, he says, I understand. I understand what you're going through. 
I understand he's going to talk about their suffering, their tribulation, their poverty, the fact that they're being blasphemed against, the fact that they go to prison, the fact that they die. He says, I know these things because I experience them as well. I understand what you're going through because I too have experienced those things. You know, when I think of that, I think that's exactly the way we are to live the spiritual life. We are to take the things that God gives us, the experiences we have, and use them to minister to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be comfortable. Is that what it says? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction as well. You see, the reason God comforts you in the midst of what you're going through is not just to make you comfortable. He does want to comfort you that way, but so that you would take the comfort you've received and give it to others. Let me put it this way. Who better to minister to a lady who's just miscarried than another lady who's miscarried? Who better to minister to someone who's been through physical or sexual abuse than someone who's overcome that? Who best to minister to somebody in the throes of depression than someone who's ministered to someone in the throes of depression? Who better to minister to somebody with an addiction or somebody gone through a divorce or somebody who's struggling with major issues in life than somebody who's been through those self-same issues? You see, whatever you have been through, the Father has taken you through that and comforted you through himself and the body of Christ, not to make you comfortable, but so that you will comfort others. We preached through Second Corinthians, I think it's been about six years ago now. And went through this section, I I said, would you do me a favor? If you have been through some episode in life, you've been through something in life, and now you're on the other side of it. You may have gone through a difficult divorce. You may have gone through some addiction. You may have gone through a, 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 a prodigal, or maybe you have a prodigal. And If you've been through those things, and God has taken you through them, and you are comforted, would you email me? Because I'm going to have folks come into my office or email me, Pastor Gary, we just found out our daughter is pregnant. Who better for me to hook them up with than one of you who've gone through that? Or Pastor Gary, we just found out our son is gay. Who better for me to hook them up with than someone who's been through that? Or Pastor Gary, it came out that who better for me to hook them up than you? So do me a favor this next week. If you'll send me that, things that you have been through, and say, I'm available. I'm available to comfort others because I receive that comfort myself. So Jesus says, I know, I understand all these things because I've been there. The first thing he says he understands is their tribulation, their suffering. He too suffered. He went to the cross. He suffered. He understands tribulation. Second thing he says, I understand your poverty. If, if you look at verse 8, he says, I understand your, or verse 9, I, I know your tribulation. The word there means it being squeezed together. I also know your poverty. It's interesting. He says, I know your poverty, but you're what? What's it say in your Bible? What's it say? I know your poverty, but you are rich. Now, that doesn't add up in our, in, in, in our economy, does it? I, I mean, somebody in poverty, how can we say you're rich? I mean, somebody who doesn't have much of this world's goods. So what we're seeing is the price tags in Jesus' kingdom are reversed. What we're seeing is what really matters is not how much we have socioeconomically, but but there's a whole different criteria for what makes us rich. In fact, jump ahead to the next chapter. Chapter 3, verse 17, he's speaking to the church at Laodicea. 
To the church at Laodicea in verse 17, he says, Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy, you have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. He says, you know, you, you are rich and you think you're not poor, but the reality of it is you may have economic wealth, but, but you are far away from God. And that makes you poor. To the church at Smyrna, he says, you don't have economic wealth, but what you do have is a richness of being rightly related to God. Do you see the contrast? You see, to the person who has much of this world's good, unless we bow our knees before him. In fact, if you're wealthy, if you have been blessed with wealth, let me give you two, two, two applications, two words of advice. Be generous and be humble. Be generous and be humble. God has given many of us good jobs with good incomes, and I would say be generous. Your checkbook should reflect your generosity to God. Secondly, be humble. Recognize he's the one who has enabled you to acquire what you have. He's the one who's given you the ability to get what you have. He's the one who is the, the, the one who's given you everything that's good in life. Be generous and be humble. To the church at Smyrna, he says, you're poor, but you're rich. To the church at Laodicea, you're rich, and you don't even realize how poor you are. Because you don't turn to the Savior. You see, the price tags are inverted in God's kingdom. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with heart. And we're rich when our heart is rightly related to God. He says, I know you're suffering. I understand you're suffering. I suffered too. I know your poverty. Jesus left the riches of glory to come to earth. Philippians chapter 2. He knows poverty. I, I know your persecution. Our Savior was persecuted. Specifically, he says here, I know that you're being blasting by the Jewish people. See, the, the, the Jews were some of the greatest enemies of the early church, beginning with Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, who saw that others were killed and persecuted, cast into prison by his own admission. And, and then we find next that he says, I, I know that some of you are headed to prison, some of you are going to die. Some of you are headed to prison. It's going to be for 10 days. It's a short period of time, maybe a little 10 days, maybe just a, a, a statement of a short period of time. But he says, some of you are headed to prison. You're going to die. So who wants to sign up to join the church at Smyrna? You join my church, you're going to experience suffering, poverty, persecution, prison, and some of you are going to die. I would say they probably were not setting attendance records, wouldn't you say? I mean, most folks are thinking, that's a place, I, I, I don't mind joining the church at Ephesus. I mean, if you look on the sheet you've got in the church at Ephesus, with us last week, they were a serving church, they were a sacrificing church, they were a steadfast church, and they separated themselves from false teaching. Thinking, that's a church I want to be part of. The church at Smyrna, this is what we're going to get. One of the things that happens, if you look on the outline, there's also condemnation, or really a a correction, if you will. Condemnation is a strong word. There's a correction. The church at Ephesus, Jesus said, I have this against you. You have left your what? First love. Where is the correction to the church at Smyrna? Look at those verses in your Bible. You see any correction to the church at Smyrna? He says, I know this. I understand this. He tells them what to do. There are two churches in the seven churches who have no words of correction. The church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia. There's none here. These were godly, faithful people being molded by persecution, undergoing suffering. And all the Savior does is encourage them. There's no correction to be made here. 
But he does issue a challenge to them. It's a twofold challenge. Challenge number one is don't be afraid. And I want to say, yeah, right. Uh, you guys, I want you to know, here's what's coming. I, I understand that right now you're suffering and you have tribulation. I understand right now some of you are poor because you claim to know Christ and people quit shopping in your shops and people quit buying your produce and people keep quit uh, giving you things uh, in your family. They disinherit you. And so you've got tribulation, you've got poverty, and you're being blasphemed against by the Jewish community. And not only that, some of you are headed to prison, some of you are going to die. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, I, I've said before, any time in the scriptures you read, don't be afraid, usually there's a reason to be afraid. All the angels appeared to the shepherds. What are their first words? We know the Christmas story very well. All the, the, the angels appeared to the shepherds, and their first words are... Fear not, for behold, we bring you glad tidings of good news. Fear not. Are you kidding me? Thousands of angels in the sky, bright lights, and you tell these shepherds not to be afraid. They're scared to death. And here he says, I want you to know you're headed to prison death, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How can that be? When you're rightly related to the Savior and your trust is in him and not your circumstances, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. Many of us have reasons why we could be fearful. But when we trust the Savior, we don't have to live our lives in fear. He tells us this, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't look anxiously about you, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says this in uh, Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I mean, it's a promise given to Israel. And the thing he says, I, I love you and I will honor you. In Psalm 112, he says, he does, not fe- he does not fear bad news. is confident in the Lord and trust in him. Bad news comes your way. You look at TV and there's bad news. Do you fret? Do you worry? Or do you trust God? Do you trust the sovereign God of the universe? says this in Matthew chapter 10, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but fear the one who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. So we don't live our lives fearing men, we live our lives fearing God. So his first word of advice, his first challenge to them is, be not afraid. Secondly, he says, be faithful. Difficult times are coming, but be faithful. The end of Habakkuk, I've asked you to pray this for me for the last two and a half years, says this, being faithful in the midst of trials, though the fig tree should not blossom, there's no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fall, there'll be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He's saying, don't be afraid and be faithful. In the midst of turbulent times, that's what those verses are talking about, you praise God. You exalt in the God of your salvation. You honor him even when circumstances are not the best. His promise to them, look at the end of that section. You will not experience a second death. You see, Jesus said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And he said, you who are faithful, you who overcome, we saw overcomers are those who trust in Christ in 1 John 5 last week. When you're an overcomer, when you've trusted in Christ, 
You may die physically, but you'll live eternally in the presence of God. Amen? Suffering burns out the dross or the impurities, and it burns in the promises. 